Every Friday, we send out an email with weekly announcements, and my job is to just write up a little preview of what we're going to be talking about in church that Sunday. So I was sitting in front of my laptop on Thursday night, um, just trying to think of a way to describe the unique relationship between a mother and her child. And this is what I wrote. Try as you might, you will never escape your mother's love. The one in whom your life began, the one whose selfless commitment to your welfare began the moment she became aware of your existence, still nourishes you with an invisible, unseverable, umbilical cord of love. I was thinking about that, and I thought, that's probably not the kind of a picture you really want to paint in the mind of a small child. A more age-appropriate image uh, for toddlers would be, say, two bunny rabbits, which is why Margaret Wise Brown's book, The Runaway Bunny, was published, and my book about the world's longest umbilical cord was not. Uh, Have you ever read this book before? Any of you read this? If you're a mom, you say, yeah, I've read it a thousand times, always with a little one on your lap, right? It's a great little story for For kids, if you're a father, um, you might prefer Margaret Wise Brown's other book, Goodnight Moon, because if you read Goodnight Moon right, it will put your kids to sleep. So dads love that. But since this is Mother's Day, and since I don't want to put you to sleep, I'm going to read to you uh, The Runaway Bunny. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away, so he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream, and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. If you fish for me said the little bunny, I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on the mountain high above me, said his mother, I will be a mountain climber and I will climb to where you are. If you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I will be a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I will be a gardener and I will find you. If you are a gardener and find me, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you come home to. There's lots of illustrations in this book, but this is the one that I love the most. Um, Clement Hurd drew that picture. Isn't that awesome? If you become a tree, said the little bunny, I will become a little sailboat and I will sail away from you. If you become a sailboat and sail away from me, said his mother, I will become the wind and blow you where I want you to go. If you become the wind and blow me, said the little bunny, I will join a circus and fly away on a flying trapeze. If you go flying on a flying trapeze, said his mother, I will be a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air to you. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, said the bunny, I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shuck, said the bunny, I might just as well stay where I am (laughs) and be your little bunny. 
And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. I bring back some memories for some of you. It's a great little story about the inescapability of a mother's love. And of course there are exceptions, but the pain felt by those who have not experienced that kind of love just confirms our innate need to have someone from whose love we cannot run away. And Psalm 139 says that all of us do have someone like that in our lives. Whether we're motherless or mother-smothered or somewhere in between. If you have a Bible, let me ask you to open it up to this, to this psalm. We're in the middle of a series right now on the psalms called the Songs of Jesus. And um, it, you, can, you can find this passage in all kinds of different ways. You, you, you could, if you brought a Bible with you, you can open up to that. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, you have a couple of different cho- well, three different choices, actually. You can um, get, open the app, our White Pine app, and there's a Bible program there. And you can just look for Psalm 139 there. You can use a Bible from the back table um, if you want to do that. And um, if you do that, it's page 505. Or you can um, just look at your note sheet because I also printed it on there. Psalm 139. A psalm about God's inescapable love. Now, the writer of this poem, Israel's king, David, doesn't come right out and say that God's love is inescapable. The first thing that he tells us in this this song or this poem is that God's knowledge is unlimited. The theological word for it is omniscience. Write that down on your, on your note sheet. Or again, you can all, we also have that on your app. There's a note sheet there that you can do it on your phone. But just write down that word. God is omniscient. And after you've written that down, start reading with me David's prayer in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Oh, that word searched. That's a word that could also mean that you have examined me or you have probed me. I read that this week and I, I, I started thinking about how I spent uh, a night in the ER with, with a kidney stone. And the reason why that word examined or probed struck me is because that's what they did to me when they found out what I had. The comedian Jeff Foxworthy was, was told that the pain of passing a kidney stone is, is equivalent to childbirth. But he said that he was skeptical because after a woman has a baby, she is likely to say, I'd like to have another one. But no one has ever wished for another kidney stone. Well, I got one, but it didn't pass. So I was scheduled for a follow-up appointment. And before the appointment, they said, we'd like for you to do an ultrasound. And so I went in and I had this very painful ultrasound done. And after they looked at the results of that, they said, well, we think we'd like for you to have an x-ray. And so I went and I got the x-ray done. They looked at the film and they said, we think you should have a CAT scan. And so I went for the CAT scan. And I finally went in for my appointment and I learned why they wanted to examine me that thoroughly. You want to know why? No, it's none of your business. You don't want to know why and I don't want to tell you why. But I'm just trying to say that I know what it feels like to be thoroughly examined. This is what David is saying in this passage, that that God has has thoroughly examined us. You know, verse 2, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. If I can just string together three different translations, here's what David is saying. You know my thoughts before I think them. 
you notice everything I do and everywhere I go, you know what I am going to say before I even say it. That's how thoroughly God knows us. He knows everything. He knows what is. He knows what will be. He knows what could have been. He's omniscient. When my boys uh, were younger, they used to try to hide from me by covering their eyes. They thought if they covered their eyes and they couldn't see me, then maybe I couldn't see them. I think sometimes we kind of play that game with God. We think that because we can't see him, he can't see us. But he can. He sees, he sees everything. And not just everything visible, but also everything that's invisible. So God knows us like no one else does. He knows, for example, what we daydream about. He knows what terrifies us. He knows what we're tempted with. He knows everything that we hide from others. He knows why we do what we do. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And it's not as if God's like watching us from a distance. I love that Bette Midler song, God is watching us from a distance. That song's great. It's just not true. Because God is never any distance from us. He, he, he's not just omniscient, he's also omnipresent. It's another big word for you, omnipresent. It just means that God is everywhere at the same time. And it's not that he's partly here and partly there. No, no, he's all here and he's all there all the time. So we're never alone. Verse 5 says, you hem me in behind and before, and, and you lay your hand upon me. One paraphrase says, I feel your hand on my shoulder. Such, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So even if we wanted to elude God, we couldn't do it. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So he's with us in the best of times and the worst of times. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Whether you feel at home here in Maine or you feel like you're a million miles away from home, God is here. He's guiding you. He is sustaining you. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, it may be that David is reiterating God's omniscience in those two verses. Maybe he's saying that everything that we do in the dark, God sees it as if it was in broad daylight. But when I read verses 11 and 12, I think of the times when circumstances have been dark in my life. Those times when I most need God, but I feel like I'm all alone. Have you ever had a time like that? It can happen after a miscarriage. It can happen after you lose your job or after you lose a loved one. It can happen when you've been betrayed or when you get a bleak diagnosis. It can happen when you hear how God has blessed others with what he has withheld from you. A mate, a child. There are all kinds of things that can make us feel alone. 
But the truth is, there's never been a moment in time when you or I have ever been completely alone. Paul said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My youngest son, Kyle, is just about to graduate from high school, but I can still remember when he graduated from his crib to his first bed. Um, and, and for some reason, that, that move to that wide open space with no fence to keep out monsters just terrified him. So night after night, we'd tuck him in, we'd, 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 we'd say goodnight, we'd turn out the lights, we'd go out into the hallway and listen to him just scream in fear. And finally, Robin and I decided to just take turns laying down next to him, uh, you know, hopefully until he fell asleep. And I just, I just remember these times when I would lay down in the darkness of that room and I would be so close to him and he would kind of inch his way up toward me till his face was like right here. I mean, he was right there. I could feel his breath. And even in the dark, I could see his eyes. His eyes were open. You kind of see that little shine of these big round eyes looking at me and being afraid. And I just lay there for the longest time, and eventually his eyes would close, and I'd, I'd try without making any creak in the bed, you know, to get out and, and try to make it up. But as soon as I got out of the bed, he's screaming again. I just couldn't, couldn't get away from him. And, and there was one time when I was, like, I was laying there like this, just face to face with him, and we had this, this lullaby CD playing. Um, and, and I heard, I was just listening to these words, on the CD, a song by Twyla Paris. God is all around us, everywhere we go, caring for his children. That's all I need to know. He's stronger than the eagle circling above. He's wiser than the oldest owl, more gentle than a dove. He's closer than pajamas that fit me like a glove. God is all around us, and he is love. I love that. He's closer than pajamas. What a great word picture that is. This is true in your life and in my life when we feel his presence and when we don't. It is true when we are lovable and when we are insufferable. It is true when we want him to be there and even when we wish he wasn't there. I heard about a young boy who was walking through a neighborhood toward his home after Sunday school one morning. A guy was working in his yard. He said, uh, where have you been? And the boy said, oh, I've been at church learning about God. I was in Sunday school. And, the, and the, man, the man said, I'll give you a dime if you can tell me where God is. And the boy responded, I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me where he isn't. God is omnipresent. And he's omniscient. And he's also omnipotent. It's the third big word I want you to write down. Omnipotent. It's a word that means that there is no limit to his power. And, and typically when we think of God's power, what comes to mind is something like Mount Everest or the Milky Way. We, we, we think of these, these huge works of creation that, that glorify God's muscle. But David went the other way. He just thought small and intricate. Look at verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. 
I know that full well. Wow. If everyone just believed the truth in those two verses, that each one of us is a wonderful work of art that uniquely displays the creative power of God. Our society doesn't tell us that. Scripture does. We might think, oh, David said that just because, you know, his body was like, like Michelangelo sculpted him. I have no idea what David thought when he looked in the mirror, but I do know that God's Spirit intends for all of us to be able to use these words to worship God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He lovingly and skillfully knit you together in the art studio of your mother's womb. Gestation is the process whereby God fashions zygotes into works of art. And every birth is the unveiling of a masterpiece. You might be thinking, that's not me. I have a face that only a mother could love. Well, you know why your mother thinks you're so good looking, don't you? It's not because love is blind. It's because love is what corrects our vision. And no one, not even your mother, loves you as much as God does. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Now look at this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that a comforting truth? God determined the day of our death before the day of our birth. And I know that to us it seems like some people die prematurely. And and others linger in suffering for far too long. But the number of our days on earth is just part of God's eternal plan for us. Everyone who follows Jesus lives forever. But it's up to God to decide how long we will remain here before we enter the birth canal of death on our way to heaven, which is as preferable to this life as the world is to the womb. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, Derek Kinder calls that phrase, a glimpse of resurrection. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, if I could just squeeze these three attributes of God, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence into a single word, it would be the word inescapability. Nobody can elude God. So where does your mind go with that truth? I mean, to know that the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God of the universe is inescapable has countless implications. What kind of a prayer does it make you want to pray? David's first thought was, Okay, Lord, who sees everything, who's everywhere at the same time, who's all-powerful, give those who have mistreated me what they deserve. You know what they have done. Now, execute justice. Look at verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. 
They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. See, David just couldn't wait for God to say, Yoo-hoo, bad guys. Guess what? I've been watching you. You know those hiding places you found? I was there. I know what you did to my servant, David. You thought you would get away with it. You thought I wouldn't know. Surprise, I know. And now I'm going to even the score. Brace yourself. But maybe as he relished that thought, David suddenly realized that he was in a vulnerable position to cry out for justice. Maybe he thought of Bathsheba and Uriah. And maybe we who would love for God to give those who have mistreated us what they deserve have enough self-awareness to know that we too have sinned. And if God unleashed the full fury of his holy wrath against sin, we would be among the casualties. And that kind of self-reflection causes a plea for justice to morph into a cry for mercy. Like the opposite of justice. Yeah, I'd love for you to give them what they deserve, but please, Lord, don't give me what I deserve. Give me mercy instead. Watch what David prayed in verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Show me the the anxieties that I experience when I lose sight of your knowledge your presence, and your power. And most importantly, verse 24, see if there is any offensive way in me. Lord, give me eyes to see how I have hurt you and how I have hurt others and lead me in the way everlasting. Enable me to do what you have long said would lead to life at its best. Let me, let me just ask you, have you responded to the inescapable love of God like that? Have you submitted to his probing and asked for his forgiveness? Or are you still trying to outrun him? Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I can tell you this, if you ever open the door of your life to Jesus with humility and repentance, he will not come in with judgment, but only with mercy. It's not that God doesn't judge sin. He does. Or a better way to say it is, he did. That's what the cross was all about. The cross was where The judgment of God was satisfied. That's where he sent his perfect son, one who had never before sinned. And he had him nailed to that cross. And when Jesus was on that cross, God actually punished punished one man, that one man, his own son, for all the sins that everybody else has committed, including us, including you. He paid the death penalty for you. And all that's left 
now is for God to unleash upon you his love. Who in their right mind would run from that? You know, um, and I know I'm not talking to everyone now, but I am talking to some of you. You have a mother or a wife, a grandmother, a special woman in your life who's been praying for you, and you know it. They have been praying for years for you to at some point stop running from God and to let him love you. Why not just choose today to stop running? I promise you it'll only get better to have this God that is everywhere you are to be inside your life, filling you with his love rather than waiting for you to Open yourself up to it. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me right now. and um, I want to give all of us a chance to respond to what God has said to us in this passage. But especially if, you have, um, if you've never before said yes to what Jesus did for you on the cross. Would you just say to him in, in silence, I know that I have sinned. Thank you that you died for my sins. And I know you've been knocking at the door of my life and I choose to invite you in. Please come in and fill me with your love. Cleanse me and make me the person you created me to be. Thank you, Lord, that you do give us such such amazing love through our moms, and yet they only dimly reflect the the intensity of your love for us. May today be a day when we fully um, trust in and fully enjoy your inescapable love. In Jesus' name, amen.